What's up everyone? It's me, Yonik. I'm one of the finalists for the Precision Cutting Championship uh, 2020 for UK. So guys, the Precision Cutting Champion of the UK is... Yonik Philippopoulos. Uh, wow, check this out. Look how many presents. Hair dryer, GHD, the Denman black box, scissors, wings, branded brasses, the trophy. Hello and welcome to the Respectfully podcast. I'm Nikki Pope, the presenter of Respectfully, representing the Respect for Hair brand, working with hairdressers in the UK. And today I'm waiting for a conversation with a really interesting man who has recently come to our attention as he won the first UK edition of the Precision Cutting Championships. So he's the proud holder of the title Precision Cutting Champion 2020. His name is Yonick and he is currently based in Brighton working as a freelance hairdresser and educator. So grab yourselves a cup of tea and get ready for a really interesting listen. Hi Yonick, nice to see you. Nice to see you too. So tell me, introduce yourself, your name and tell me a little bit about how you came into hairdressing. What's your story? Okay, so my name is uh, Yonick, Yonick Philopoulos and uh, I am originally from Greece. Uh, I come from a hairdressing family, so it's my mother, my father, my grandfather. And um, it's a bit of a funny yeah. story because when I was young, I grew up in the environment of uh, of the salon, and I would see my parents uh, doing this job, and uh, I never wanted to become really a hairdresser. And when my when my parents says, "Oh, would you like to become a hairdresser and then maybe follow up, you know, the business and all that," I said, "I will never become a hairdresser." <laughs> Was, what what uh, did you want to do? Did you have another ambition? Yeah, actually, it's a funny one. I wanted to become. Uh, I wanted to work on a circus and do performances and uh, juggling and all these kind of skills. And at wow. the time, there was no there was no schools like that in Greece. And I guess the dream was too far fetched there. <laughs> what What happened was one of my best mates. Uh, he had a date, and he said, "Yonik." My mother has gave me some money and uh, I would go to your grandfather to do the haircut. But if you cut my hair, then I can keep the money so I can uh, spend it on the date. So he had some clippers yeah. from his father's and some kits and scissors. And then I, I decided to go on and cut it. And I had such good fun. I enjoyed it so much. And I thought, oh, no, what am I going to do now? How am I going to tell my parents that I actually do like hairdressing? So it took me a while until I was ready to tell them. <laughs> So did you? So then, what happened? Did you then study, or did you go and work in the family salon, or how did it happen? Actually, I, I was um, I was able to find a, to find a job within the performing industry, the juggling industry, and uh, a lot of the people that I would work with, they wanted really crazy hairstyles for the shows and all this kind of thing, and. Uh, uh, I had the scissors. I had I had talked to my grandfather secretly, and I said, "I'll tell you a secret, but you cannot say my mom and my dad." And he said, "What is it?" I said, "I, blo- I bloody love hairdressing." And he goes, "Okay, me too." I said, "Yes, <laughs> but please keep it quiet." <laughs> he says, "All right." 
And then I asked yeah. him, I said, can you get me a kit? I said, can you get me scissors, gowns, like everything? And uh, he, he put a little bag together and he gave it to me. And I used this kit to cut my friend's hair. And uh, I kept it secret for a couple of years. I would go in the salon and, uh, and look uh, DVDs secretly and Tonian Guy and Vital Sassoon tapes, VHS tapes, and so I can learn something. And I kind of picked up like that. Until, until my job with juggling wasn't making any money, so I decided to go back to my parents and say, look, I've been cutting hair secretly, would you take me in the salon? <laughs> <laughs> that's, what a, that's an amazing story, fantastic, I love that. <laughs> and, and then, so this is all still in Greece? This is yeah? still in Greece. They got, me, they got me in the salon and I worked there for about uh, three months and... Uh, I think at the time I was a little bit of a diva. I thought uh, the only thing I would be doing is cutting hair. So my mother got upset with me and said, look, this is not how we do things in the salon. You have to wash the floor, you have to do coffees, you have to do all the jobs. So she says, you cannot work anymore here. Go out there to see how it is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it was proven to be a really good present because um, really good gift because I went out and I saw how work is done in other shops and how difficult it is for apprentices and I worked my way gradually up to shampoo, to blow dry hair and then to eventually cut and then when I was uh, established in another salon in Greece then I decided to go back to our own family place. I mean your cutting skills is incredible, your your line and this precision cutting because I'm, I'm talking to you because you're now the the UK precision cutting Ooh. champion 2020 <laughs> which I'll come to but to win a competition like that and there were some really serious uh, fantastic entries and also it, it was judged by people who when it comes to cutting people from the Sassoon background from Tony and Guy from from Rush these all these companies so they know what they are judging so how did you become this precision cutting hairdresser? So the story the story goes back when I when I arrived when I arrived for the second time into my family salon, my mother already was visiting London. She was coming to Tony and Guy and Vidal Sassoon at least once or twice a year. So she would bring all this information and she said, Yonik, now you're ready to go in UK and uh, and see how these people are doing the business and uh, at the time, I had a big idea about my cutting skills. I thought I was good. But when I arrived in, in UK and yeah. I had my first course at Vidal Sassoon, I think I, I, think I had, a, I had a, a little breakdown because I thought, oh my God, these people are so good. How, how have they become that good? And it was an inspiration. I came back and for the whole year, I remember I practiced with my clients and uh, with their beloved hair. And uh, then I continue every year. Every year I came to UK, I, I took something back home, I practiced it. And then after three years, I thought, there is no chance I can become that good by coming once a year. I'm going to move to London and see what I can do there. So I moved to London and uh, yeah. I went to Sassoon, but uh, it was too early for me. I think maybe my, my English wasn't too good and... Uh, and um, then eventually I had an interview with Rush and uh, they said, look, your cutting is great, but your English is terrible. And I said, oh, no, I said, I'm <laughs> here only one month. Please give me a chance. 
and they said, look, we give you a chance. So they got me in, and um, about two years inside Rust, two and a half years, I think uh, I met a little bit close uh, Andy Hisman, that he's the artistic director from Rush. Yeah. And, uh, we yeah, became, yeah, Andrew, we became yeah. close and uh, he started mentoring me and uh, once a week I would go to the academy and he would uh, help me with cutting, I would bring a model and I think that was uh, one of the most significant uh, training I ever got into hairdressing. Andy Hisman is a very positive man and yeah. he's an exceptional uh, hairdresser and I got so much out of this man. I'm forever grateful. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. I think it is, it's really important at, for all of us in whatever industry we are to have like a mentor or somebody who you really admire, but not from a distance, somebody who you can connect with and, and ask things and who, who is your champion almost. Yes, it's, it's so important. And uh, you, learn, you learn so much by shadowing, shadowing those people, not not, I would say, just for the skill of the cutting, but uh, uh, how they're carrying themselves and, uh, and all the career skills that they might have collected up to this point. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, so for salon work in the UK, have you been based in a salon in... So I'm talking to you now, you're in Brighton, but were you living in London before? So yes, I was seven. Uh, I lived for seven years in London and I worked uh, for, for the Rust company. And uh, that was a very big experience altogether. And then I decided, um, I decided to take my skills, and uh, I had a little experience from education, and I decided to take those skills and come down to Brighton, and become self-employed and start setting up my own uh, my own path. And uh, I work um, I work for two two three different salons here in Brighton as self-employed, and uh, I did training for these salons, and but I also start uh, developing some clients uh, in Italy and in Greece and here in UK as well in uh, in cutting education, and that has been my journey so far. Brilliant. So tell me about the competition. So last year, now we are twenty twenty one. In twenty twenty, we had the first edition in the UK of the Precision Cutting Champions Championships. Precision cutting championships. You have to say it for uh, slowly. You know. <laughs> um, and this competition always has the first round with cutting on blocks on dolls' mm. heads. In fact, because of COVID, I think the whole competition last year was on on Correct, dolls' yeah. heads. So, was this a challenge? Had you been always training working with dolls' heads, or was it like going back to school again to have to to do something? This is this is a great point. Uh, to be honest, I, I do enjoy more cutting uh, real hair. It's uh, it's for a couple of reasons. I think one of the reasons is first of all you get a bounce with a client, and uh, and it's not it's not about how I feel about the hair I create, but mainly how they feel about the hair I'm creating for them. And when yeah. I see a client being happy, you know, my heart is is happy too, and I'm thinking, okay, I'm doing something correct here. But I think when it comes to, to doll head or sometimes even creative work, um, you know, there's an the aspect of how do you perform and how, how do you put everything together. And in the doll heads, I think um, they are a little bit more unforgiving. So maybe some of them, some of the doll heads don't look as pretty. So you have to work a little bit harder to find maybe a good decision how to make them look a bit prettier. 
and also little little mistakes can show a lot more into the camera or to the final result so for me yes it was i had done work with doll heads when i trained with people but uh, it was definitely a process so i remember when i put down to do the first haircut i've cut the first haircut and i thought wow i've done so well and then a couple of minutes later i was looking at it and I started becoming unimpressed by it and I thought, mm, maybe, it's, maybe it's not enough. And then uh, I decided to yeah. take some pictures and then actually recut it. So I cut it for the second time and I thought, mm, yeah, maybe that's the one. But then soon after again, I, was, I had second thoughts, so I thought, I'm going to do a third one. And then when I did the third one, I thought, that's <laughs> going to be the one. And that was a little bit, let's say, like a retraining to to find maybe yeah. the recipe of what works for me within the setup of the doll head and the camera. Yeah. I think it's interesting, isn't it, that the way the competition is set up for people listening, just to explain, you enter the competition by putting your your cuts on Instagram. You have to use the hashtag to enter the competition and you put. they ask you for particular views. But you can change it, can't you? If you upload one and then you think, okay, no, I have to change it, you can you can say, no, I'm, I'm entering a second time. And you can see what other people are doing as well. Precisely. Which is, I think is very interesting. Yeah. Pre yeah. Precisely. The so... I'm sorry. Yeah, so I think, so, no, I was just going to say, so the so in the first round, were you looking at what other people were doing as well, or were you just concentrating on your own work? I had, I had, I had an original look to see what other people did from other countries, and uh, he acted as an inspiration, but that was on the first two haircuts I've done. And then uh, on the last haircut, I decided to go with what I felt uh, best best for me and I already had the first set of pictures and then uh, I was uh, I had more opportunity to be risky let's say yeah <laughs> and getting through to the second round so I think there's 10 people in the second round for each country if I recall well was this how did do you remember how you felt when you got into the second round was it more pressure because now it's like okay now I really have to do something or was it did you have more confidence? Okay, now I'm in the top 10, so I must be doing it right. A great point. Uh, I, yes, I guess the pressure goes up as the round passes because at, at least for me, uh, when I did the first haircut, I had to reinvent a few things. I had to go beyond maybe where I have been before and create a, a new type of honesty so I can develop this result. So. I was hoping that I would have, I would be able to do the same on the second one, and uh, yeah, the second haircut, a very, a very difficult, uh, I would say, haircut in terms of technique. It's the round line, and uh, but I was happy. I did, I did, a, I did one first, and I was like, mm, so so. I did the second one, and I was quite happy on the second one. I took the pictures, I recorded, it, and uh, and that was it. Um, I hoped uh, I hoped for the best because there was actually very good uh, very good um, entries there. Yeah, the standard I think was very very high, and the judges. So the different countries had their own championships, but I know the judges from 
lots of countries judged each country if you like so yeah. it was it's very interesting to see what people see when you look at the different countries and when you're traveling um you know can you come from greece to london but you do education normally when we have no covid in different countries do you see um differences in the kind of work um i mean in england in the uk we're very proud we claim to be the masters of precision cutting i think because of the history of sassoon um and the people that came with him do you do you see differences in other countries yeah this is this is a very interesting question uh, i would say uh, england and with the history of uh, sassoon but also the fact that um, uk is a very multicultural place you can uh, do a lot of different types of hairdressing and uh, sometimes if a place is not as multicultural or maybe didn't have the same history maybe the market uh, affects a little bit on uh, on how do you perform nevertheless you can always be precise and you can always uh, make uh, styles that they are beautiful and suitable for people regarding uh, regardless of of the market and the needs but I would say from my experience the different types of hair and the different uh, traditions of a place affect the haircuts that people wear. Yeah, yeah, for sure that has to make a difference. And even do you find a difference in cities? So coming from London down to Brighton, the Brighton area is very well it's very creative in many ways it's very individual maybe you have a different kind of clientele or or do you not see that i i i definitely find um, something yeah i definitely agree on that so from london at least at the time i was there there was um, a lot more focus on the finish uh, or definitely on the precision as well but uh, it almost like everything had to be perfect and when i came in brighton um, i tried to carry on a little bit this uh, this energy with me but for some reason when i would finish the hair the clients would be mm, uh, i'm not really sorry it's not really me and it took me i think it took me about 3 4 months to yeah. understand that uh, people down here in south uh, from my perspective at least enjoy the hair to be a little bit more natural a little bit more undone like they haven't tried too much if that makes sense yeah yeah no it's great i was looking at your instagram and you have some really cool really cool short looks which is precision cutting but also texture or different colors this kind of thing which is cool to see thank you with your with the work coming back to the point of the cutting in particular how much how important is it to have the right scissors to have the right tools mm. is it a good cutter could work with anything or do you think it really obviously it makes some difference but how important is it to you to have the scissors that suit you well i guess i guess my opinion on that might be a bit uh, controversial or might not everybody agree with it but uh, yeah, I would say first of all, if you have good scissors, you will uh, learn how to cut. It, it will it will make it easier for you when you cut uh, when you cut the hair. But from my experience, there has been a few times that uh, for various reasons I might haven't had a good pair of scissors, so I had to produce the same results with with a, a lower quality pair of scissors, and that has been proven a good lesson because uh, it made me try to find ways to understand how 
how I can make the scissors work better, but uh, yeah, how to cut, how to, how to improve the skill rather than just depending on the scissors. I guess if there is the skill and the scissors, that yeah. is the perfect combination there. Yeah. <laughs> so what's important to you in your kit bag, if you are going somewhere, what, what are the key things you, you choose to have with you? What's the top four or five things you say, I have to have you know, this, these things in the bag? I am, uh, because, because I'm, I like uh, cutting and I'm focusing my time on that, uh, it's, my kit is really minimal. I have a pair of scissors, I have uh, a comb, and uh, I have two clips and a flat brush, and that's it. Really? Wow. And do you do clippers work as well? Do you, are you interested in the, in the clipper work or not so much? It's more scissors for you. When, when, when I'm in the salon, there's people that they, they like the clipper work. And um, I think uh, recently barbers have um, reinvented their, their skill and the craft. And I think they've done so well. So there is this fashion now out there that people like. And uh, sometimes I have to do it. Uh, but I do, I do love working uh, for men as well, or for short styles, a lot with the scissor and the comb. Uh, I feel like I can offer personally yeah. a more bespoke service. Yeah, yeah. I think the clipper work is interesting for attracting attention. So I think some young people I've seen in lockdown, my sons even, because of, of what they see people doing with clippers, they're interested in hairdressing. So I think it's a good way to bring people to it especially especially for for boys and for barbering because they can understand it for their own experience and then they graduate to using scissors or being interested more in cutting perhaps I definitely agree you can see uh, you can see as well that when uh, when a part of our industry grows and it becomes more exciting uh, it attracts it attracts people i think uh, you know sometimes can be the barbering sometimes can be the hairdressing I would say that now barbers have uh, improved their skills so much that uh, it's a category. It's a category in itself. You know, sometimes you can get a bit specialized on one thing a little bit more than the other. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. So when you're doing your education, what is it about being an educator that that interests you? What what makes you feel? How is how rewarding is it for you? Um, I, I found I found a lot of reward uh, seeing uh, people discovering. I feel like uh, discovery it's a great um, it's a great part of uh, of my work as an educator. Um, I believe sometimes uh, you can give a lot of theoretical knowledge, uh, um, but I found it so interesting to create an environment when people can uh, explore and uh, they can discover. I feel like uh, in this way the knowledge uh, stays more and as well I see people that they feel like it's theirs rather than oh look about me how good of a hair I'm cutting here. Yeah yeah so it's something that you're you're giving them that's interesting. Have you ever been interested to study colour work or is it for you it's very much about the hair the cutting? Uh, I always had this excuse that I am a little bit colorblind, but uh, I think that is a bad excuse. I once took a test <laughs> And it was a magazine test, and <laughs> I kind of I put it up there as a label, and okay. uh, and I went around and because usually these days I think um, in many brands it's required for for the business but also for the clientele to do both. 
I think I was asked uh, quite a lot throughout my career to do both and uh, you know with my scissors I moved in front and I kind of stuck to yeah. to my ways there I'm, I'm always I'm always in look for people that they are equally passionate in color and and collaborate and and yeah. have fun and create together yeah yeah definitely and how are you finding this life now with the with the pandemic obviously you can't travel in the same mm. way I don't know if you were able to see family or tell me how you are managing for your well-being for your mental well-being how it affects you no thanks thanks for asking I think such a, such an important such a important strange times at the moment it was it was funny when the lockdown started uh, we were expecting a baby with my partner and oh, she wow. was she was due we have a little girl now Oh, congratulations. Thank you very much. And um, so in some ways for us, it was an excuse that we can kind of shield a little bit in and get prepared for these big events of our lives. And um, yeah, in the beginning, it was, it was, it was okay. And um, after when the lockdown finished, a lot of people went out and, you know, they had to work with the protection and the mask. And at the time, I decided to kind of stay in and... I guess protect a little bit the um, shield for this situation. Yeah. And uh, my my thoughts, my thoughts and my heart was with these people that they had to be out there and and do this work. And uh, my, for myself, it's very difficult to work with a visor and to the mask. Um, I feel like uh, you know hairdressing. I know hairdressing is not an essential, but somehow somehow I personally see. Uh, pampering and you know that having a sense of touch and feeling close and having yeah. small talk almost an essential part of our of our well-being for the clients but also for for myself uh, I'm, I'm enjoying going to the salon and and talking with people yeah. make them look good mm-hmm. and make them feel good and I guess that has been something uh, I've been missing yeah and, uh, and also not having the chance to to practice you know what you love in some ways personally again i felt like i had to take my creativity and my passion and put it into something else so i have a sense of progression and growth yeah yeah definitely wow wow so what what are you looking forward to more than anything just to be with people to be able to go back out to not be afraid what what is your when when will you know that you are in a good place how you will, want the world to be again well uh, uh, i guess uh, now it's uh, waiting uh, waiting to see what's going to be the results or when we're going to be able to to allow to go out and do our business and uh, you know I hope the the sooner the sooner the better uh, I'm not gonna lie but um, sometimes uh, you know I have some moments that I am considering and asking myself uh, is it worth learning something else as well to be able to support my family we see that a lot of things now happening online I was I was very lucky two years ago I picked up a, a new hobby it's it's not like it's a somatic method. It's called Feldenkrais, and uh, I decided to become a, a practitioner on that. It's a it's a neurological method that has to do a lot with movement, somatic movement. It's used a lot by 
by performance, by dancers, by athletes. But it can be used a lot for trauma, for people that they have injuries or they had some sort of psychological or mental trauma. And um, it's a method that I, um, I have been enjoying doing for myself, but also teaching others. And I was hoping that I would be able to combine the two together. Yeah. Because I feel this time more than ever, I felt how important for people is how they evaluate their image and how they are and, and their ability as well to adapt so they can uh, carry on in the future. So I wanted to take the one thing and the other thing and put it together so I can create some education that uh, helps people see clients in this perspective as well. Wow, tell me the name of it again. The name, what's it called? It's called Feldekreis. It's uh, the guy that invented it, uh, his name was Moshe Feldekreis. Wow, that's really interesting. Gosh, you are very adaptable. So it's interest. So it's it's kind of poetic that you're interested in in a in something which helps people to adapt and to understand, because that's maybe almost an that's an expression of you, mm. because you I, are adaptable. Absolutely, I think we have to we have to be flexible, and uh, I think we have to start. We have to stick in our own guns sometimes, but I think sometimes you know you have to reevaluate and uh, and make changes. The world is moving, the world is changing, and you know it's worth fighting for something, but also it's worth uh, reevaluating. Yeah, I think the for me it would be more madness to come out of this experience and not learn or take anything from it. I think we have to. That would be madness. I think at least we can something which is not sensible and not rational at least we can try to make sense in some way by taking something good from our experience i think this is this is one of the best options because you know life carries on and a lot of the times we, we have constraints you know there are people out there that they have a lot more severe constraints than what we have because of covid and uh, you can see that even people with many constraints physical mental psychological they still go out and they they're doing the best and they're living life and they're looking forward to it yeah brilliant wow and do you ever do any juggling still yes i i still do it uh, i think it's a it's a nice little thing to to play around every now and then put a bit of music and uh, and do that wow your daughter's gonna love that as she grows up with her friends you're gonna be the most popular dad for the parties <laughs> i don't know i don't know if i'm gonna wear the makeup and go do the whole thing maybe i will teach her so she can do it <laughs> <laughs> oh that's amazing thank you so much for sharing your story with us yonick it's lovely to meet you even on on the screen hopefully one day we can meet in person Congratulations, very well done for being the Precision Cutting Champion for 2020. Are you going to enter again this year? Um, I hope so. I hope so that uh, I am uh, seasoned enough and I have cut enough hair to be ready to participate on, on this year <laughs> as well, yes. Wow, thank you so much, Yonick. That was, gosh, I don't know, there's so much in that story and it was so unexpected to hear about his journey through hairdressing to becoming such an incredible educator and talent for the art of precision cutting in particular. 
We do hope you enjoy the podcast here at Respectfully. Please don't forget to visit us on iTunes or Spotify and browse our other conversations with many interesting hairdressing professionals. Do subscribe, which means that you can download the podcast onto your device and listen to us offline. And please also do rate and review us. It's always interesting to have your feedback and it helps to drive us up the charts and bring the podcast to the attention of more hairdressing professionals. Until next time, thank you.